Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Good morning and welcome to our service of online worship on this fourth Sunday of Easter. As we continue together in this service of praise and thanksgiving, let us together pray the collect for purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us continue in praise as we sing our hymn together.
Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Please join me as we read Psalm 23. We will read responsively by half verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
A reading from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, beginning at the 13th verse. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city at once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join us for our gradual.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired the writing of these words in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. And we believe these words not only had power in the day that they were written, but these words have power this day on this fourth Sunday of Easter in the midst of this current world crisis. And we believe that because we believe these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so come Holy Spirit. Open these words for us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do we worship before walls? Why do we worship in the face of disappointment and obstacle and challenge and loss? Israel for 40 years was in the wilderness. And now here in Joshua 5 and 6, we see them entering into their inheritance, entering into the land of promise. And they're barely into the land of promise before they run into an insurmountable obstacle. They run into the wall of Jericho. What does the Lord say to Joshua in the face of this insurmountable wall? The Lord says, throw a worship service. See, in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, when we look at the description of what God tells the Israelites to do surrounding this wall, it's a worship service. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once, and then you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. This procession 
around the city walls is a liturgical festival procession. The ark that's being carried by the priests is the ark of the covenant, the symbol and picture of God's presence in the midst of Israel. The trumpets being blasted are very likely the shofars that would be used by the priests to call Israel to worship and song. And the fact that this goes on for seven days sure looks like a festival to the Lord. See, they're thinking to themselves, I'm sure, the Israelites, we're going to look ridiculous. I mean, here we are before Jericho, and God is calling us to throw a worship service for seven days. We are going to look ridiculous in the face of those who are behind those walls in Jericho. See, it is a strange thing, and we need to acknowledge it. It's a strange thing for us to be worshiping in difficult seasons. We may think at times, man, we must look ridiculous to the rest of the world as we continue to worship in the face of a wall. I mean, it's strange what we're doing even right now. I mean, I need to say this. It is strange having our worship services streamed online. It it was immediately apparent to me just how strange this was. The very first week, we had our services online. I sat there, ironically, right? Having recorded the service, sat with my family to worship together with them, watching me lead the worship service. And I was still getting used to the camera angles and the rest. And at one point, early on, very early on in the beginning of the service, I said, looking out here, I said, this is an opportunity for us to be together. And then I looked over at the one camera here and looked right into the camera, breaking the fourth wall, as they say, looking right at you and said, though we are apart. And my whole family began laughing. I mean, we all just roared with laughter. And every time I looked right into the camera for the rest of that service, again, the family would laugh. Not because they were laughing at me, I hope, but because they were laughing at the silliness and the strangeness, the weirdness of what it was to be doing all of this online. And yet, isn't it glorious that we can still do this? But it's strange. It's strange to worship in such unprecedented times and difficult circumstances. It's a strange thing we are doing. And I'll tell you, the novelty, I'm sure, for many of you is wearing off. And for many of us, we will be tempted, having gone through weeks and weeks of this, to begin saying, really, this doesn't feel like the usual worship services. Am I, am I really so called week after week to gather you know, with my family, with my dogs, and together sit and watch this worship service? I mean, really, what will matter if I skip? But the argument that this story in Joshua 5 and 6 shows us is that in the hardest of times, in the strangest of times, that we are called to worship. Because you and I and our whole world are facing a wall right now. To varying degrees, COVID-19 has meant disappointments and setbacks and fears and losses. And just like Israel before Jericho, 
You and I are called in this season to worship in the face of this wall. And we worship because God is present. Just as we see in this story, God is present with his people in the midst of this crisis. And we worship in the face of this wall, not just because God is present, but because God is praiseworthy. He is worthy to be praised in every season, in every set of circumstances. And we worship God before walls because God is ultimately pointing to something greater, even beyond the present wall we face. See, we worship before walls because God is present. I'm going to argue, along with some of the early church fathers, that what's happening here in Joshua chapter 5 is, in fact, a theophany. Joshua is meeting God. He's seeing God. In verse 14 of chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles out, we read that this is the commander of the army of the Lord. And we need to ask, what does that exactly mean, the commander of the army of the Lord? Well, look at what happens and what follows. Verse 14 goes on to read that Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And note that the commander of the army of the Lord doesn't tell him not to worship him. You think of Revelation chapter 19 where the apostle John on the island of Patmos sees a mighty angel in all of his glory before him. And John falls down at his feet as though dead in worship. And the angel says, do not do that, for I am merely a creature. Worship God. But that doesn't happen here. Joshua falls down in worship. And the worship, it seems, is received. Verse 15 Joshua was told to take off his sandals, which sounds exactly like what Moses is told in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, when he meets God in the burning bush. The God who in the bush says, I am the Lord your God. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And finally, in chapter 6, verse 2, we're told that the Lord, Yahweh, said to Joshua, the Lord speaks to Joshua directly in this moment. And don't let the chapter break artificially throw you off. Because there's no intended chapter breaks in the original Hebrew. It all flows together. And so clearly what we are seeing is that the commander of the army of the Lord is none other, not surprisingly, than God himself. And I say not surprisingly because who ultimately leads God's army into battle but God Himself, He is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord God of power and might, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord God of the army of angels. Joshua is having a theophany. And we need to stop here for a moment as we're looking at the fact that God is present in the midst of these crises. Because for Christians... We do this strange thing, not just that we believe that God is real, but we believe that God is present with us. 
In those words of Psalm 23, which we read together but a moment ago, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're with me. This is the conviction of our faith that God is with us. I love that moment when Larry King, a number of years ago, was being interviewed. Uh, he, he was interviewing Billy Graham in the context of Easter. And it was one of those mic drop moments, right? Where Larry King, in his typical style, leaned forward and said to Billy Graham, But how do you know that Jesus rose? And Billy Graham, without missing a beat, said, I know because I spoke with him this morning. See, this is what we believe, that God is present with his people. Before this wall that Israel faces, God is present, just as he promised. What did he say to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 5, in that moment of handing on the mantle of leadership to Joshua? He said, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Before our own walls, God is present just as he promised. As Jesus, in the moment of the ascension, says to his disciples, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We worship before walls. We worship in the midst of obstacle and crisis because God is present. But we also worship before walls because God is praiseworthy. Again, that, that list, that description of the worship in verse 3 and verse 4, marching around the city, seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow their trumpets. This call for zealous worship of God in the face of this wall. See, the point is that instead of this obstacle getting in the way of their praise, they praise God all around this obstacle. They don't allow the obstacle to get in the way of their praise of God. And we need to understand this. It's vital for us as believers to understand this because so often we forget. God is praiseworthy, not because of my present circumstances, but because of who he is. I'll say that again. God is praiseworthy, not because of my present circumstances, but because of who he is. The basis of our worship is the creator's self-revelation of himself to us, his creatures. The zeal of our worship is knowing our creator's character, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy. As Revelation chapter 4 gives us this vision of heaven, this vision of worship around the throne of God. Verse 9 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. See, Africa continues to teach me this. Everywhere I go in different, very unique, different African nations and their various unique African cultures, here's the common denominator I see in every African nation I visit. Whether it's in Nairobi or whether it's in Ethiopia or whether it's in, in Rwanda most recently, the last couple of years, what I see is a people who understand that God is worthy of praise regardless of the circumstances. That God is worthy of praise simply because he is God. There's this phrase that many of you who have either traveled in Africa or interacted in different African circles here in America will know that often gets exchanged in the context of Christian fellowship among Africans. Someone will say, God is good. And the response is, all the time. And then you respond back, all the time, God is good. But there's this phrase that I began hearing just a couple of years ago when I was in African circles that's added onto the very end of that. Many of us know the God is good all the time, all the time God is good. But there's a phrase that many African Christians add on the end. And they say, and it is his nature. In other words, God isn't good just because I perceive he's being good to me in my circumstances. He is good all the time because that is his nature and that is why we worship him. Our worship of God is not transactional. Our worship of God is not about God being worthy because I am receiving blessing from him. No, our worship is not transactional. Our worship is relational. I worship God because of the great blessing of knowing him. As John chapter 10, verse 14, that good shepherd passage that Deacon Tony read just a few moments ago goes on to say in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. It's easy to worship God when things are going well. But he's worthy of our worship even when things are not going well. Even when we are facing walls. I read a story this week back from 2015 of a man named Andrew Chan who was executed in Australia. He was on death row for 10 years as a convert 10 years on death row and became a convert. He was converted while on death row. He became a Christian and became study, began studying scriptures. And then he began studying at seminary. And eventually, this man on death row, a believer fully trained in seminary, was ordained as a pastor, a pastor to those death row inmates. And on the day he died, it was reported 
that at the moment of his death, he was singing a praise song. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. This man, even in his moment of death, knew what Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 means when the prophet writes, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We worship in the face of walls, not only because God is present, not only because God is praiseworthy, always worthy of praise, regardless of my circumstances. But we worship before walls finally because God is pointing in this wall to an even greater wall that he has already overcome in Jesus. See, in verse 5 of chapter 6, we've got to be careful that we don't misinterpret what this story means. Because in verse 5, after this glorious worship service of seven days, God says, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will go down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Does this mean, and so we have to be careful, does this mean that every time we face a wall, because God is present and God is praiseworthy, that that wall will come down? Is it a promise that no matter what we're facing, if we have enough faith, this wall will come down just as we want it to? Remember, as a new believer, early on, very early on as a new believer, attending a healing seminar, and in this seminar on healing, talking about believing that God heals today and being encouraged to go into hospitals and pray for people and pray for loved ones, one member of that seminar, one of the participants, sort of thought he was the teacher. He kept interrupting the pastor as he taught. And at one point, the question was raised, well, what happens if I go in and I pray and I pray and I pray and this person just doesn't get healed? What, what do we say pastorally to that person? And this man interjected and said, well, you tell them that obviously they didn't have enough faith. And if only they would believe just a bit more, they would be healed. And the problem is this man had been watching far too many televangelists. Now I gotta be careful because there's an argument now that all pastors in COVID-19 have become televangelists. But you know what I mean. He had begun to believe that God functioned like a vending machine where you put in a quarter of faith and you get out what you want. Again, a transactional relationship. Forgetting the fact that God is sovereign 
And God is mysterious. And God is holy and loving and is bringing about his purposes in the world. And that does not always mean that this wall will come down the way we want the wall to come down. Billy Graham gets Parkinson's disease before he dies. Mother Teresa, so racked with pain and arthritis as she was coming near her death. These people were not lacking in faith. They were facing walls that were not coming down the way I'm sure they were praying. See, we need to read this Jericho story in the context of the whole of the Bible. This story about a wall coming down in the context of the Bible that includes the book of Job, a honest, righteous man full of faith who loses everything. The Bible that includes the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible who includes the Garden of Gethsemane. This story is not a promise that every wall will simply come down. Some walls will take a while to come down in our lives. And some walls we face will never come down in this life. I mentioned last Sunday how I get concerned sometimes with Christian art and uh, Christian t-shirt slogans and the rest. And I'm thinking more and more that um, maybe I I need to open up a t-shirt company because again, in the context of this, I get so concerned when I see these kitschy greeting card kind of sentiments put on art and put on t-shirts as Christians, which have no deep pastoral application for those who are not seeing the walls come down in their lives right now. I would much rather, for example, see a t-shirt that had the phrase, the quote from William Barclay that said this, I love this. Jesus promised his disciples three things. That they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Or imagine a t-shirt with a picture of Christians being led to the Colosseum to die with the common phrase, used God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now that's a t-shirt I could buy. Or maybe better just go with James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds. See, this story And all these kinds of victory stories in scripture are ultimately pointing to a greater story, a greater victory and a greater triumph that has been overcome in Jesus. Every one of these battle stories in the Old Testament is always meant to be a picture, a sign pointing to that final battle that took place on Skull Hill, Calvary, where Jesus, bearing the full punishment of sin on his shoulders, died in our place and then rose glorious on the third day, defeating death. That is the ultimate wall of sin and death that every human being faces, and it is the wall that Jesus has overcome for us. As 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, Paul says, Death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be immovable, always abounding in good works, knowing that your struggle is not in vain. A number of years ago, when our youngest daughter was still sick, we had an amazing healing story that I've talked about in other contexts. But in those years when she was still sick, heading into the children's hospital again and again, I got an invite at one moment from a large Pentecostal church to come and be a guest preacher. And uh, the pastor called me up and said, we'd love to have you come and guest preach. And I said, what do you want me to preach on? And he said, we want you to preach on healing. And I said, really? I said, let me understand this. You want an Anglican to come into a Pentecostal church and teach on healing. Don't you guys kind of have the corner on that market? And he said to me, he said, oh yeah, we believe with passion that God heals today. But here's what we struggle with is to know how to teach our people that you can believe that God heals today and yet sometimes not see the healing that you're praying for. That's your story right now with your daughter. So will you come and preach to us? And as I shared our daughter's story and as I shared what it meant for us to be people who believe the scriptures, that God is actively in the business of healing today. How do we understand this seemingly insurmountable wall of her sickness that was not coming down? And the answer was this. We would pray every time we'd go to the hospital that the wall would come down. Oh Lord, heal her today. But we would also learn to pray in time. Lord, we want her healed today of these symptoms and this sickness, but even more than that, we want her raised from the dead. And so Lord Jesus, we trust you with her and pray, oh Lord, that you would bring salvation into her life so that ultimate wall of sin and death will be for her even now in this weakness, overcome in Jesus. So why do we worship before walls? Why do we worship in the face of obstacle and challenge and setback and disappointment and loss? There's so many articles and seminars and opinions that are coming at us daily on how worship is being changed by COVID-19 and how worship will be forever changing the way we worship at the way COVID-19 is be changing the worship at church in the days and years to come. And yes, there will be changes, but not the fundamentals. The fundamentals will stay the same. You and I and our whole world are standing before a wall right now. And just like Israel before Jericho, you and I are called in this season and in the days and weeks and months and years to come to worship before this wall. We worship God because he is present and because he is praiseworthy and because he's always pointing to that greater wall that he has overcome for us in Jesus. 
God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And it is his nature. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Please join me as we reaffirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show your mercy upon us and grant us your salvation. O Lord, guide those who govern us and lead us in the way of justice and truth. Clothe your ministers with righteousness and let your people sing with joy. O Lord, save your people and bless your inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord, and defend us by your mighty power. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. At these intercessions, at the end of each intercession, there'll be a moment of silence in which you're invited to offer your own prayers, after which I'll say the words, Lord, in your mercy, to which you're invited to respond, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have confidence to enter into your throne room of grace and bring our petitions for us, for our loved ones, and for the world before you. Father, we pray for your church throughout the world, asking for faithfulness, for righteousness and peace and strength, as we seek to be a worshipful people in the midst of difficult days. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, we pray for the world, the world that you love and the world which you are redeeming in your son, Jesus. We ask 
that you would bring to an end natural disaster, violence, and injustice. And Lord, that you would tread down this disease under Jesus' feet, that we would be free from it and live in a time of peace. Teach us as the church to know what it is to stand with a world in need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, we pray for those who you've given authority to in this world, both in the church and in our government. Praying for our archbishop and our bishops and all those who lead our churches and for our president and the leaders of the nations, for our Senate and Congress, for our governor and our state legislature, for our mayor and our local leaders, our first responders, our medical professionals on the front lines. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give them strength and grace, that they would lead with justice and mercy and truth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father, now we raise before you the names of those who are sick, lonely, in need, who are dying, and those who are bereaved at this hour, asking for their safety, for their health, and for their salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, Father, we thank you as we remember the faithful departed, those who've gone before us, and we thank you for their witness to us of a life of faith. And we thank you that by grace through faith, we can be reunited with them on the day of the resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Before the words of the benediction, let me encourage you to continue to stir up one another to love and good works as Hebrews 10 teaches us. Let me encourage you to continue sharing these online services with your neighbors and your friends in these difficult days. Let us continue to give generously both to our local food banks and other ministries serving the poor in this season and giving generously to the work at Christ Church as we continue to offer ministry in this season and benevolent care more and more to those who are suffering. And let us be encouraged as we press forward in faith that Jesus 
is not only present with us in the midst of these difficult days, but he has won for us a secure place before the throne of heaven. Let that perspective always be what drives us forward and gives us joy in these days. The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn of praise. Alleluia, alleluia. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.